Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. sets limits on your life, it messes with your perspective, it causes you to make silly decisions. Then we dealt with death, and we, we proclaimed to you on Easter morning that Jesus has dealt with death ultimately, and therefore he makes life, gives us life emotionally, he gives us life relationally, and ultimately he gives us life spiritually. Then last week we slugged it out with addiction, and we had a a pretty interesting thing happened during, I believe, during altar time, and we had people raising their hands saying, hey, I'm dealing with an addiction of some type or sort, and so we've been praying for you folks that were a part of that, and we just believe that God is breaking that. And this morning, uh, we finalized this ultimate cage fighting series, and I'm kind of sad about that because that means I don't get to come in like a rock star every week. I got to... I got to figure something out. I, you know, I like kind of like having that entourage stuff. <laughs> I guess I'm just going to have to take my outfit home and do this at home and make Julie stand there and applaud for me when I walk down the hall going, no, I'm playing, I'm playing. <laughs> she said dreaming. Yeah, uh, yeah, I understand. But, but uh, no, it's been a lot of fun. But this, this morning, honestly, uh, we, in my opinion, <laughs> I was nervous about this morning, just to be honest with you, and I'll tell you why. When we met as a creative team, I have a creative team that helps me um, come up with ideas and suggestions, and we began, I told them I wanted to do a series about cage fighting, and as we got together, we talked about the cages that we all face, and somebody piped up and said, the cage of religion, and I was like, I don't think so, <laughs> because when you look at the cage of religion, the truth is, is that religion is a very extremely difficult and tough opponent. And the reason for that is because when you take an initial glance at religion, when you just kind of look at it on the surface, in and of itself it seems to be great, it seems to be good, it even seems necessary for us to live a godly life. We would say, well, we need the concept or the idea of religion, and it seems like some innocent and perhaps even a noble cause. But we're going to find out this morning that that may be 
wrong. I think perhaps the best place for us to start when we begin to talk about the cage of religion is maybe that what we should do is we should go back and look at the beginning of where religion started. Because if you go back to the very beginning of the book, if you turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1 and you begin to read, what you discover is that in Genesis chapter 1 and in Genesis chapter 2, which is the account of uh, creation, that what we discovered is that God and man had this unveiled, uninhibited, unrestricted interaction with one another. They were walking together. There were daily sightseeing tours through the garden. Can you imagine having God as your tour guide? through creation. I mean, it's pretty cool to go on a safari. I've been on one a long time ago, and it was pretty cool for the guy to go, there's a giraffe, and there's an elephant, and there's a rhino. But can you imagine having Almighty God with the little clicker microphone, CB thing going, if you look to your right, there, that's what it was like. Daily interactions, daily walks through the garden, no, no restrictions, no barriers, dialogue and relationship. That's Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. But then you know what happens in Genesis chapter 3 because when we turn and look in Genesis chapter 3, what we discover is that man sins. And now there is this barrier, this breakdown of this relationship that occurs and God and man are divided by the sinfulness or the evilness of our hearts. And let me stop and just tell you that because you need to understand this, that religion, the definition of religion is this, to bind fast or to bind Again, is what it means. That's what it literally means. And so you turn to Genesis chapter 4, and we come into, the, into this account of Cain and Abel recognizing that their relationship with God has been broken. They start religion in chapter 4 because something interesting happens. Without any instructions, without any command from God, there's no account that God said you need to perform a religious ceremony in their attempt to bind again with God. Remember the definition of religion. In, in an attempt to get back in tight with God, they take it upon themselves to offer sacrifices. God didn't say offer a sacrifice. In their own thought process, in their own desire to connect again with God, they step in and they perform a religious ceremony hoping that that will connect them again with God. Can I remind you this morning that what Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3 and ultimately Genesis chapter 4 teach us is this, is that religion was born out of separation. And you need to understand that this morning. God never intended or wanted religion for his people. What God desired for his people was relationship. That was his goal. That was his desire. Mankind learned well from her forefathers, by the way. Did you know that right now on the face of the earth, if you take the major world religions, only the major ones, there are 21 major world religions. That's all the way from Christianity to Islam. There's all these other kinds of religions. But when you really begin to study and break it down into the subdivisions, we discover that one study says there are 4,200 religions across the face of the earth. We are religious people. And the reason is is because there is this hole, this God-sized hole in every one of us so that we desire to be bound again to God whether we really understand who God is or not, 
whether we think God is some Buddha statue or whether we think it's some little wood carving on the backside of a a jungle somewhere, there's this God-sized hole. And what we do is we try to conceive or come up with this system by which we can reach God. Now, Religion is our attempt to get to God, and there's no, there's no issue or no bad thing about us trying to get to God except for this. In our own power and in our own strength and in our own set of rules and our own devotion to a certain creed and our own dress code or any other man-made path, we can never get to God. You understand that this morning? Religion never gets us to God, ever. In fact, What I've discovered is that religion becomes a substitute for God. In fact, in a lot of cases, what really happens is religion becomes an obstacle or a barrier to keep us away from God. And so we've got to come back to this place where we understand that God's only desire for us is relationship. And relationship has been prescribed for us in the New Testament. And relationship can only be achieved one way, and it's not a religious code. Relationship only takes place according to Jesus himself in John chapter 14 when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come, can come unto the Father but by me. So relationship can only be established and achieved as we enter into an intimate, heartfelt relationship with Jesus. So no religious system, no religious code gets you to God. In fact, What religious systems do is they cage you in. Now, did you know this? Did you know that you can be very religious and still not be close to God? Did you know that churches are full of people this morning that are extremely religious who don't know God? In fact, if you turn into the New Testament, Paul comes into a situation like this. And he goes, he travels to Mars Hill and Acts in Acts chapter 17 and he says this about the people there he says I observe that you are very religious in every respect they were religious to a fault but then you go on and you read in verse 23 and what you discover is that Paul points out that they had an idol that they had made and on the bottom of the idol they had inscribed this word to the unknown God They were extremely religious and they worshiped that idol even though they didn't know who they were worshiping. And my concern is is that some of of us are so religious but we have no clue who we are worshiping. I want to tell you that Paul understood that regardless of how religious you are, you are dead unless you know the one you're worshiping. Religion is self-sterilizing. It produces death. Religion minus relationship cannot sustain life. Do you understand that religion without relationship only produces death? You know what Paul discovered? There was no life on Mars. That's what he discovered. And that's exactly what's true for us. If we are only religious and we have no relationship with our Father, we are dead. It doesn't matter how many attendance pins you have. It doesn't matter how many times you come to church. It doesn't matter how faithfully you pay your tithes. It doesn't matter whether you know the songs or not. It doesn't matter whether you raise your hands or not. If you don't know the one you are worshiping and have relationship with him, you will find yourself dead. Religion cages us in. I find it pretty interesting that 
in the course of the New Testament, when Jesus was walking on our planet, I discovered something. He had a very contentious relationship with religious folks. Have you ever noticed that when you read in the New Testament, that this just blows my mind, but Jesus didn't get along with church folks very well. In fact, he liked to call them names. He called them like snakes. Well, that's, that's how you influence people and win friends, isn't it? He called them snakes, and he called them whitewashed tombs, and he, he called them fools, and he called them hypocrites. Uh, by the way, hypocrites were in the church then, too. They've been around a long time. It's not a new thing. They've always been in the church. Jesus was very brutal with church folks. In fact, I've discovered this. He, uh, he dismissed church folks on a number of occasions, especially when he was getting ready to heal folks. He would get rid of the church folks, and he dismissed them with his words sometimes, and sometimes he went one step further and dismissed them with the sting of a whip. He didn't deal with church folks very well. These were the re most religious folks of the day. Do you know that the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees had studied God's word and they had dug into God's word? They were faithful to studying scripture. They read the Old Testament. They knew it backwards and forwards. And out of that reading, they had discovered that there were 612 rules in the Bible. And therefore, this shows you how religious people can be. They made 2,000 rules about the rules. You know you're religious when you make rules for rules. And through tradition, they passed them down, and they begin to call these rules fences. But Jesus would have seen them as cages. And so this morning, what I want us to do is understand that Jesus didn't like religion. And we don't want to get trapped in religion. So I think it's very important for us to figure out if Jesus' response to religion was to get angry and to call them names and to throw them out of the room, then we got to be able to spot the religion, the things that turns Jesus' stomach so that we don't fall into that trap. And so he points it out for us. If you have your Bibles and want to turn, it'll be up on the screen. I want us to read what Jesus said about religious folks. He said in Matthew chapter 23, verses 3 through 7, and verses 27 through 28, I want to read it to you in two versions. He says, although therefore, whatsoever they bid you to observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to the to be born, grievance to be born, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all of their works they do to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the bound, the borders of their garments. And they love the utmost rooms at the feast and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets. And to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within dead of men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Pretty strong words. Let me read it to you out of the Message Bible. Jesus says this, but be careful about following them. They talk a good line, but they don't live it. They don't take it into their hearts and live it out in their behavior. It's all spit and polished veneer. Instead of giving you God's laws as food and drink by which you can banquet on God, they package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals. They seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger under these loads and, and wouldn't think of lifting a finger to help. Their lives are perpetual fashion shows. Embroidery prayer shawls one day and flowery prayers the next. 
They love to sit at the head of table, head table at church dinners, basking in the most prominent positions, preening in the radiance of public flattery, flattery, receiving honorary degrees, and getting called doctor and reverend. Then he goes on and he says this, you're hopeless, you religious scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You're like manicured grave plots, grass clipped and the flowers bright, but six feet down it's all rotting bones and worm-eaten flesh. People look at you and think you're saints, but beneath your skin, you're total frauds. I don't want to be in that crowd. <laughs> so let's talk about how we can spot religion in our own lives. Jesus says it very clearly in about three or four things, three, four things that I want to mention. First of all, he says religious folks don't practice what they preach. He says they know the law, they preach the law, they enforce the law, but they didn't live the law. They know, do, do you know anybody like that, by the way? I, faces went in front of your face, right in, in your mind's eye, right there. They, you're just going, didn't they? You know people that know all the law, and they enforce the law, but they don't live the law. And Jesus says that when we're like that, if we don't live out what we preach, then we're religious. See, religion is easy to spot because a religious person will always be able to give you the right answer. They will always be able to give you the letter of the law, and they will always condemn sin. But they won't live out what they condemn. It's getting real quiet now. I figured it would. Religious folks are very good at pointing out other people's sins. Have you ever met somebody that could always point out everybody else's sins but never see their own? Have you ever noticed that the other car's headlights are always brighter than yours? Oh, come on now. I know you're not like me. I sit there and blink them, blink them, blink them, blink them, blink them, driving me nuts. And then I realize my headlights are just as bright as theirs are. That's the way we are when we're religious. We see, I see the sin in you, but I never see the sin in me. I have forgotten about that teaching about the beam and the speck. Jesus says, look, if you're going to be my followers, then what you've got to make sure that you do is you can't be so religious that you don't practice what you preach. It's not enough to come in here and preach about giving if you don't give. That's why if you want to see my giving statement, I'll give it to you anytime you want to see it. I'm not asking you to do something that I'm not willing to do. That's why it's hypocrisy to stand up and say, you ought to worship God if we're not worshiping. That's why I don't hang out in a green room. I'm not building myself up. I'm just giving you some practical examples. That's why I am not going to hang out in a green room while y'all worship, and I'll just stroll in with an entourage about three songs in. That's hypocrisy. I am saying to you that whatever we preach from this pulpit or whatever you preach from your pulpit, because, see, you have one too, it doesn't light up, and it doesn't have the cool logo on it, but but you have a pulpit in your daily walk that people are listening to, and if all you can do is point out their sins and never deal with your own sins, Jesus would go off on you. We cannot be guilty of not practicing what we preach. A surefire way to figure out whether you're caught in the cage of religion is this. Listen to how you talk about other people's sins. It'll point it out every time. The second thing Jesus says is that religious folks make it harder for, hard for people to reach God. Have you ever met anyone that makes it harder to reach God than it was for them? I don't know how you reached God, but I just followed Scripture. Scripture said that if I pray with my mouth and I believe in my heart, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart, and I believe on Jesus and what he's accomplished for me on the cross, then I'm saved. Right? 
what religious folks do is they get in easy like that, because it is pretty easy. It's not cheap, but it's easy. They get in like that, and now that they've met God, they in turn look around and say, now that I know God, you shouldn't be able to get in that easy. Because what you ought to be doing is cleaning up and quit your smoking and quit your drinking and quit your carousing and quit your gambling and quit all the stuff that we preach against. And when you get all that right, come and see me and I'll teach you how to get to God. When all they did was pray. And what religious folks do is they set standards that keep people away from God instead of making it easy to get to God. Somewhere along the way, religious folks somewhere, and I'm not saying they're in the room, but they might be. Check yourself this morning. I've been checking myself all week. What religious folks have done is come to the conclusion that it is our job to clean folks up and then get them to God. When the reality is, is that our only job is to get them to God. And then it is God's job to clean them up. Now, please don't get me wrong. I am for holiness. I'll just give you some examples. Like, I've never been to a movie. I'm not saying you shouldn't go. I'm just telling you my background, all right? I'm being being real with you. In in my upbringing, (laughs) you didn't go to movies. So I haven't been to a movie. I've been to a dance. I just didn't dance. I stood on the side and watched them. My high school prom, I didn't dance because we were supposed to be holy, so I didn't dance. I still don't wear shorts. I wear long pants because I realize I don't have a healing ministry. And if I wore shorts, I would have to heal you from blindness every week. And so you ought to thank me for that later. But I was raised that we don't wear shorts. Now, my kids wear shorts, so I'm not preaching against shorts. Please hear me this morning. I am not against holiness, but I want us to understand this something, something this morning. Do you know who's supposed to be holy? Holy folks. What are you saying? Why do we expect sinners to act like saints when they're sinners? Sinners aren't supposed to talk like us, aren't supposed to dress like us, aren't supposed to not go where we don't go. Because they're sinners. And what we are obligated to do is to love on them so that they will want what we have and we are supposed to make it easy for them to get to God, not hard, so that what happens is they come into a relationship with God and then when they come into a relationship with God, then they are now a saint. And then we teach them that their lifestyle should change, that their promiscuous lifestyle should stop, that their language should change, where they go should change. We help them after the fact that they get to God, but we don't weigh them down with so many rules that they can't get in touch with God. Why do we feel like we have to protect God? Are we afraid that their sin is going to contaminate the most holy Of holies? No way. Religious folks make it hard for people to touch God. One of the surefire ways that you can tell whether you're religious or not, you're not going to like this, but just hang on. Just buckle your seatbelt just for a few more minutes. We're almost done. Is this. Religious folks are extremely opinionated. 
I knew that one would go over huge. I got revelation for you this morning. You want some revelation? There's one infallible God, and you're not him. And although some of us want to hear your opinions, the reality is, is your opinion on the matter does not count. The opinion that counts is God. And he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That means they come to God with their drug addictions and their potty mouth and their alternative lifestyles. And then once they get there, we expect them to clean up their act and we help them do so. The third thing that makes folks religious or one of the ways that we can tell folks are religious is that religious folks are more concerned about the outside than they are the inside. And I got to hurry. They're in perpetual fashion shows at the prescribed time of prayer. If they were crossing a road, they would stop and have their hour of prayer while traffic backed up waiting on them. And then I read to you out of this account from uh, Matthew that Jesus said you made your, uh, your borders longer. And what he's saying is in the, in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 15, the, the scribes and Pharisees picked up on the fact that they were supposed to wear a prayer shawl. And on the end of that prayer shawl, when they prayed, there were these tassels. And God had told them when you kneel to pray and the tassels move, that will help you to remember that you're in covenant with God. So what the Pharisees did is they made their tassels really, really long so that people would think that they remembered God more than anybody. It wasn't hard to spot the Pharisees because they walked funny too. They would shuffle in a pious manner so that people, I guess they looked like Mr. Sewiggins or, or what, it, what was his name? On Y'all remember Carol Burnett? Mrs. Sewiggins was the lady's name. What was his name? I can't remember. It was, it was you, Tim Conway, the guy that played it, and he walked like this. You remember? That's how they would walk to let people know how religious they were. They were constantly wanting a show. You couldn't miss them. When they gave money, they would have trumpet players that would come behind them and blow the trumpets while they're giving their offering so people would see how much they gave. Religious to a fault. These these religious men were always making an outward show, but they had no inward fruit. They had a form of godliness, but no power that was resulting out of it. And my concern is, is how many of us on a weekly basis make a religious show? It's just about a show. It's just making, it's just religious activity that has no impact on how we really live our lives. It's just a show. We just show up because that's what religious folks are supposed to do. We just give in the offering because that's what religious folks to do. We are supposed to do. We raise our hands because that's what religious folks are supposed to do. It's just a show. has no bearing on how we talk. has no bearing on where we go. has no bearing on how we conduct business. And we're just religious. Did you know that church can be a social activity? Did you know that people actually choose churches based on who they think they're going to get to rub elbows with? Man, if I go to that church, it's going to help me climb the social ladder. I'm going to meet prominent businessmen and prominent politicians. I must be naive because I thought we were supposed to come to church to rub elbows with God. It's not a religious show. The fourth thing that Jesus points out is he says religious folks want titles and positions. I don't need to say much here because it's self-explanatory, but did you know that right now down at Kinko's, somebody's probably standing in line getting themselves a business card made that's going to, they're adding the word apostle or prophet or pastor or oracle or disciple or greatest preacher on the planet or something because they think that if they will do that, that people will honor them. 
I am, I think as a body that what we need to get back to is operating from this stance. Your gift will make room for you. I don't know where I got that from. It's just some book called the Bible. Why do we feel like that we have to add titles to our names? Why do we feel like we have to chase these positions that that will elevate us in the eyes of man? Listen, if we just begin to live our lives and let our, our gifts operate, they will make room for us. You will not be an apostle because you call yourself an apostle. You will be a pastor because you call yourself a pastor. You will be a pastor or an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or whatever other term you want to put on there when you begin to operate in that gift. I've got a term that I want you to use for me as we live this life together. i got a great one. You ready for it? I, from now on, I want you to call me one of two things. Most of you do already, but I just as a point, I want to make, why don't you call me this title? Steve. That was the name my parents chose for me. That is my title. But if at some point in this excursion together, this adventure together, that somehow I begin to fulfill the role of pastor in your life, if you want to call me by what role I fulfill in your life, that's fine too. But if you can't think of what to call me, Steve will work just fine. Now listen, I understand this concept that you cannot receive people beyond where you perceive people. So I'm not coming to this conclusion that we should disrespect folks. If people have earned the honor and their gift has made room for them and they have fulfilled those roles, then we should honor them and call them what they are. But what I am saying is we shouldn't push ourselves to the front. We should let people call us what we are. So you don't need to call me bishop. I'm not a bishop. You don't need to call me glow-in-the-dark, mighty oracle of God. Okay, that's not who I am. But, hey, that's got a double-edged sword because I'm not going to call you that either. Religious folks want titles. Your gift will earn you a position in people's lives. Now, how do we escape from the cage of religion? Real quickly, three or four things, real quickly. How do we escape from the cage of religion? Number one, we remember our first love. Can I ask you this morning, did you love the rules or did you love Jesus? When you first started, who did you love more? we got to return to our first love and get back to what our first focus was. Was our first focus holiness or was it Jesus? And what I am asking you to do is to get your focus back on Jesus and all the other stuff will take care of itself. The second way that we get out of the cage of religion is that we remember that God is trying to get to us harder than we're trying to get to him. Religion forces us to jump through hoops to get to God. Relax. I would encourage you to continue to do the religious things you do, like Jesus said we ought to tithe. The apostles said that we should gather together in attendance in church on a Sunday morning. So I encourage you to do the things that you're doing that are religious by nature, but I just want to change the way you do them. I want you to understand that just because you do those things does not mean that God is going to try harder to get to you. He's already tried as hard as he can. We've got to get rid of this performance mentality and understand that we gather together, we give, we worship based out of love. I do the things that I do 
Even though some people call them religious, I do those things for one reason and one reason only, because I love him. Not to make him love me more because he can't love me more than he already does. He loved me so much he let his son die. And you'll never get any deeper than that. You're never going to impress God. Think about that just one moment. That is a powerful statement. God, who can speak worlds into existence with one word, is never going to be impressed that you got up at 8.15 on a Sunday morning, got dressed, and made your way to a service. That will never drop his jaw and all. I can't believe they did that. No. You know what impresses God? When he sees his creation turn and say, I love you, and I do this because I love you. No performance mentality. The third thing that we've got to do is we've got to experience grace again. We need to go back and remember that we are saved by grace. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. In fact, our righteousness is described in Scripture as filthy rags. And that's as good as we ever are, except for when we're in relationship with Jesus and then his righteousness becomes our righteousness. We need to go back and understand that those who have been given much grace should in turn offer much grace. That'll deal with the rule thing right there. We should, you know, if, if we would begin to operate by grace, we, we become a lot less grading to people. We would become a lot less argumentative to people. We would become a lot less condemning to people. We'd be easier to get along with. We'd be less of a hindrance to people to get to Jesus. If we would just remember that we're only where we are by grace. And the last thing that I think would help us is if we would get involved in truth religion there is a true religion according to scripture that gets God's attention I want to read it to you it's in James chapter 1 verse 26 and 27 the first thing that Jesus or that James does is he writes down in verse 26 he points out another way that you can tell people are religious listen to what he says he says if any man among you seems to be religious and bridleth not his tongue but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. In other words, what James is saying is your mouth reveals how religious you are. <laughs> like that one, don't you? I didn't like that one very much. But then he goes on and he says this in verse 27. He says, pure religion and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their, in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. In the Message Bible, real religion, that the kind that passes muster before God the Father is this. Reach out to the homeless and the loveless in their plight and guard against corruption from the godless world. In other words, the true religion that gets God's attention, that makes God sit back and notice, is when we begin to care for those that are less fortunate. He doesn't, he doesn't, take notice of how religious we are based on our worship I wish he did because we got great worship he doesn't take notice of our religion because of our preaching he doesn't take notice of our religion because of our children's ministry or any other ministry in the church what grabs God's attention is when we love those that are hurting that is true and undefiled religion those who are unloved real religion offers or helps others to get to God by loving them into the kingdom. Hear me this morning clearly. We don't get people into the kingdom by chastising them. We don't get people into the kingdom by rules. We don't get the people into the kingdom by preaching rules to them. We get people into the kingdom by handing them candy-filled Easter eggs and a hot dog. 
We get people into the kingdom by pitching them a softball and congratulating them when they make a great play. We get people into the kingdom by finding them at work when they're down and out and putting our arms around them and loving on them. We get people into the kingdom when we can, when we can associate with people that have no hope and no way to get to God. And we open up the door and say, if you would just trust in Jesus, that is real, undefiled religion. When we cry with them, when we laugh with them, when we love them into a relationship with God. So here's what I'm challenging you to do. Put into action what you know. I'm getting ready to make a statement that has shocked me and rocked me to my own core. Here it is. Most of us are religiously educated way beyond our present level of obedience. I know more than I do. Paul dealt with religion in Colossians chapter 3. Or in chapter 2, he's dealing with religion. In chapter 3, he says, since summarizing, he says this, rather than being religious, this is how I want you to live your lives. Don't be religious. Here's what he says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you, compassion. We should be compassionate, not religious. He says, be ki- have kindness. We should be kind to people, not religious. He, should, he, he says, be, have humility. We should be humble. Have quiet strength, discipline. See, I'm not doing away with the rules here. I'm just saying that we show people love first. Isn't that interesting? He shows compassion before he shows them the rules. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive and offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. That was his answer to religion. I want to challenge you this morning. How caged up are you by religion? Do you practice what you preach? Do you make it harder for people to get to God than it was for you? Are you more concerned about what other people think than you are about what God thinks? Is it just a show? Is it just performance? Is it just a religious act? I'm going to ask you two questions, or one question and one statement, and I want you to hear clearly, and then I'm going to pray, I'm going to let you go, because I don't believe this is the kind of message that you come down and shout about. This is the kind you have to go home and chew on and do some self-evaluation. I would encourage you strongly to do what I've done all week. Sit by yourself this afternoon for about 30 minutes and ask yourself, how religious am I? Why? Because Jesus hates religious folks. At least if you cast them out of the temple with a whip and call them snakes and vipers and tombs, that doesn't sound like love language to me. I didn't read that in the five love languages that I read. You know what I'm saying? Question here. Listen carefully. Ask yourself this question this afternoon. How many of you would keep doing what you're doing? Church attendance, tithe, service, ministry. How many of you would keep doing what you're doing? Keeping the rules, keep serving, keep loving, if there was no fear of punishment and no promise of heaven. Would you still get up and come to church? Would you still give your tithe? Would you still sacrifice your time if there was no fear that you'd go to hell and there was no promise that you'd go to heaven? That's a tough question to answer. You know what I've discovered? Here's my statement and I'm done. Most men's righteousness 
is only an evil heart constrained by fear of punishment. Think about that a moment. What we count for righteousness in most cases is only the fact that people are scared that if they don't do right, they will be punished by God. Meaning that if they weren't scared of being punished, they would do what they wanted to do. You know what that says to me? Our heart is wrong. We do what we do out of fear rather than out of love. I want you to wrestle with this this week. I want it to, I want it to mess you up so that at some point during this week, you have to sit down and you have to deal with this. Am I religious or do I just love Jesus? Father, I don't want to be religious. I'm thankful for my heritage. I'm thankful for all the encounters I've had with you in religious settings. But hear my heart this morning, God. I just want to be in relationship. I don't want to make it harder on other people to get to you than it is or that it, than it was for me. I pray this morning that what you would do is that you would challenge us to do what we do out of love rather than out of religious service and activity. This is a hard message, God. I understand that. And I pray that these folks that have been so faithful to be here this morning, I pray that they would now go home and be so faithful and diligent to sit down. Maybe on the ride home, they'd, they'd discuss it with the people they're riding with. But at some point, I pray that we would come face to face with this question this morning. How religious are we? Because I know this, God, if I don't know anything else, I know this this morning. Religion was our idea. It wasn't yours. And it turned your stomach. Because your deepest, greatest longing is for us to be close to you and to be in relationship with you. So, Father, I pray that you would challenge us to our core this morning and deliver us and set us free from the cage of religion once and for all and let, a, let us live a life that is bathed in relationship with you that spills out into true religion which reaches out to others and loves on others. In Jesus' name, every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't want to get out of here without doing this this morning. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I didn't ask you if you were religious. Didn't ask. You may be the most religious person sitting in the room. You may keep all the rules. You may have never missed a Sunday in your life. You may have attendance pins down to your waist. I don't care. That's not the point. The question this morning is this. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? And if you're sitting in the room this morning and you do not have a genuine relationship with Jesus, I've got good news. It's easy. It's not cheap, but it's easy. All you have to do is ask Jesus to come into your heart and the moment that you do that, you are in relationship with him. If you're here and you don't know Jesus or your relationship with him is broken, I want to pray with you. I promise we won't embarrass you. But if you're here and that's you, would you just quickly raise your hand and pull it right back down, right there where you're sitting. And I want to pray with you this morning. 
and ask God to develop a new relationship with you. Remember, he wants to get to you more than you want to get to him. He's their one. Not going to wait long. Not going to wait long. Father, I pray that you would strengthen our relationships with you this week. I pray that all week long, we would examine our lives, examine our attitudes, examine our mouth. Let us discover how religious we are. And if we discover like what I think I've discovered about myself this week, I'm pretty religious. I pray that what we would do is we would come back and remember our first love. I love you, God. More than I love the rules, I love you. More than I love attending church, I love you. More than I love doing anything else, I love you. That's why I do it is because I love you. Father, I pray that we'd come back to where we remember the grace. I'm only here by your grace. Father, I pray that you would renew and strengthen my desire to be involved in true religion, which is to love those that are unlovable and to touch those that are hurting and to give them your love. And I pray that whether I would go to hell or find my place in heaven, I would continue to do the things I'm doing because I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed this morning. Love on one another. Thank you for being here. God bless you. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.